Jesus, thank you so much, God, that we can sing Hosanna. We can sing it, you are the God who saves us. God, that you took that journey for us. And you know all he asks of us, the only thing he asks of us is that we just come. That we just come to him. We don't have to do anything. You just need a willing heart.
Savior. Christ is risen. So good to see you all. Welcome, everybody. Um, some of you are guests here today, I suspect, I think. And if you are, I really want to say welcome to you. My name is Ron. I'm a pastor here. And uh, we have a very special morning prepared. Uh, those of you that come here regularly notice things look different already. <laughs> so there's a lot of art involved today. A lot of folks have taken their um, artistic abilities, singing, dancing, acting, making floral arrangements, painting, all to say, what a Savior. What hope we have in you. We glorify you. We worship you. And, and really the whole morning's about worship. Right this weekend, there are about 2 billion people like us around this planet, some gathered around a tree in a village, some in cathedrals, some in homes, all worshiping Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What started with one small village, Jesus, a few disciples in the Middle East somewhere, proven to be the power and the work of God to bring salvation to the entire planet. How else could this have happened that one guy crucified on a Roman cross, claiming to be the Messiah for the world, would then be worshipped around the planet 2,000 years later. It's just, And the message today is not going to be so much me bringing a sermon, but a team of people bringing a message of hope with a play called The Red Door. And um, Marguerite is here, Marguerite Brunel. She's in the back there. She's actually the playwright, and she happens to be in town today. So she wrote the script that we're going to present that's really just a story of hope. And I'll, I'll come up at the end and, and give just a, a small thing. I won't do my usual sermonizing for you today. Continue worshiping and celebrating the joy of the Lord that he purchased with his own blood and with his power rose from the grave victorious to bring this hope that we are all living in and that we want to proclaim to everyone everywhere. Amen. <laughs>
doorway creates an opening in what would otherwise be a solid wall. That opening is an opportunity for an encounter between the one who opens the door and the one on the other side of it. This morning, we'll be looking at the stories of several people and their encounters with God. Even though these stories were recorded in the Bible thousands of years ago, it's amazing how similar their stories are to our stories. And one thing has never changed. God is seeking to encounter each of us with his love, his mercy, his grace, and his glory. So we invite you to enjoy the music, the dance, and the drama that's about to unfold on this stage and to enjoy having your own encounter with God this morning. Declare. 
take care of it. But the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So the Lord made a woman and brought her to him. so my husband Adam named me. I'll never forget the day our first born. He nestled into me and the, the freshness of innocence clung to him. I drew him close to smell his fresh baby smell. There's nothing like it. We named him Cain. He has father's eyes and my stubborn chin. And when he curled his tiny pink finger around mine, everything was perfect. Almost as if we were back in Eden. 
That's where my husband Adam and I are from, Eden. It was beautiful, a paradise, really. But um, I got tricked into believing that God was withholding something good from me. And I did what God said not to do. And it wrecked everything. So you might be thinking, what's the big deal? She took a bite of a piece of fruit. But it was so much more than that. We had been living in perfect harmony with God, with each other, and with the world. And when I did what God said not to do, it tore a hole in the protection that God had placed around us. And God's enemy took full advantage of the opportunity. After I ate of the tree, God told me I would still be a mom, but I would suffer great pain in the process. And he was right. You see, my son Cain, my sweet, angelic child, grew up, and he not only looks like me, he also acts like me. There is no sorrow so painful as watching your child make the same mistakes you've made. Cain was bitterly jealous of his younger brother, Abel, because he believed that God was withholding something good from him that he gave to Abel. God warned him. Sin was crouching at the door, and Cain ignored the warning, leaving the door open to jealousy. And murder snuck in through the open door. Cain killed his brother, and for his crime, he is exiled. I will never see his face again. So I have lost both my sons. And now Adam is talking about having another child. And I am terrified. What if I screw everything up again? But there is something inside of me. that 
has hope. I can't explain it. I know it's scandalous for me to have hope. But when I consider the possibility of having another child, it's as if God is knocking at the door of my heart saying, if you open up and let me in, I'll make everything all right. Will you trust me? Will you let me have my way? Will you let me have your heart? Adam and Eve gave birth to another son and named him Seth, saying, God has given me another child. And as for Seth, he also had a son. And after many generations, Seth's descendant, Salmon, met a woman from Jericho named Rahab. The men call my name when they knock on my door. I've let many men in, too many to count. I started in this life at a young age. And though I had little choice in it, I was determined to make the best out of a bad situation. I provided for my parents and acquired a suite of rooms built into the city walls. Our walls are thick here in Jericho of Canaan. All my life, I'd been told, the walls of Jericho could never be brought down. But when the city came under siege by the Israelites, our confidence, our arrogance was severely shaken. The Israelites worship a powerful God they say this one loving God created the whole world and every person in it. I grew up believing in many gods. But they led me and everybody I know into a life of degradation so shameful that when the Israelite spies came knocking at my door, I let them in. Even though I knew they came to sack my city. Something had to change. I gave them the information they needed and sent them on their way without any harm coming to them. For this favor, they spared my life and the lives of every person in my family. After the war was over and my old life in Jericho lay in ruins, the Israelites gave my family a place just outside of their camp. And I felt 
free. The first time in my life. But then, one of their men came knocking at my door. I fully expected him to request my professional services. But he came with a very different proposal. His name is Solomon, and he wants to marry me. Me, Rahab, the prostitute. Still, there's something about the way he speaks that makes me wonder if I could be Rahab, the former prostitute. Solomon's kindness gives me a hope. I can't explain it. I know it's scandalous for me to have hope. But when I think about marrying Solomon, being the mother of his children, and finding a place of honor on his family tree, it's as if God is knocking at the door of my heart, saying, if you open up and let me in, I can make everything all right. Will you trust me? Will you let me have my way? Will you let me have your heart? Salmon was the father of Boaz, mother of Rahab. His mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. The people shouted on the day I was crowned king of Israel. When I was growing up, my family saw me as little more than a shepherd boy. But God saw me as a king. And after many years and many trials, he brought about all he promised. In my early days as king, I was determined to do well. I was a man after God's own heart. But something happened. I got distracted, lost focus. I saw a woman. Her name is Bathsheba. She's very beautiful. Her husband is, or was, a friend of mine, a soldier in my army. While he was away fighting for his king and his God, I looked at his wife. I commanded she be brought to my rooms. What could she do about it? I am the king of Israel. And when I opened my door and saw her standing there, I went completely out of my mind. I knew it was wrong to be with her. 
could have felt so right at the time. Initially, it seemed like I got away with it. I broke the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And nothing bad happened. In fact, I was beginning to wonder why I had been so careful to keep all the other commandments when my world unraveled. Bathsheba sent word that she was pregnant. Adultery is a capital offense in my realm. <laughs> But I couldn't very well have her executed since she was carrying my child. So I hatched a plan to cover my tracks. I brought her husband home from the battlefront, got him drunk, and invited him to go home, sleep with your wife. But Uriah wouldn't go home. He said, the armies of Israel are risking their lives for their king and their God. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? Heroic words. I sent him back to the front lines and told my general to see to it that this heroic man died a heroic death. When I received the report that Uriah had been killed in battle, I brought him back to the, brought him back to the palace and made her mine. Though I'm sure people suspected what had happened, no one questioned me about it until today. Nathan the prophet came into my court and confronted me in public about what I had done. Everyone looked to me to see what I would do. Kings have killed prophets for less. But I was done with bloodshed. Now that everything's out in the open, I feel devastated and ashamed. But I also feel hope. I can't explain it. I know it's scandalous for me to have hope. But when Nathan was speaking to me, those words cut me to the core. It was as if God were knocking at the door of my heart saying, if you open up and let me in, I can make everything all right. Will you trust me? Will you let me have my way? Will you let me have your heart? Through Nathan the prophet, the Lord spoke to David and said, I gave you the kingdom of Israel. And if that were not enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you done this horrible deed? And then David confessed to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. David, Rahab, Eve, I've been hearing their stories all of my life, and now I'm in the middle of my own story. When I was born, my mother named me Simon, but my friend Jesus named me Peter. 
It means rock. It seemed so right when Jesus said it. I'd always thought of myself as a rock, you know, stronger than other people. Had I been in Eden, I wouldn't eat from the tree as Eve did. Had I been in Jericho, I wouldn't fall into prostitution as Rahab did. And if I were king of Israel, I would not betray a friend as David did. Oh no, I'm Peter, the rock. And with Jesus on my side, I was sure that we would rule the world together. But today, I'm not sure of anything. Because yesterday, Jesus was crucified. His broken body lie in a tomb right over there. When the soldiers came to arrest him, I was determined to fight for him. I even drew my sword, cut off someone's ear. But Jesus wouldn't have it. The last miracle I saw him perform was restoring the man's ear. It was as if he was saying, Are you listening? I have the power to stop this. But I won't. When I realized that Jesus wouldn't fight for himself, I ran. All of us, all his friends, we all ran. Several of us have been following him the last three years, watching him heal the sick, give sight to the blind, even raise the dead. But not one of us stood by him when he needed us the most. Later in the day, I crept into the high priest's courtyard where Jesus was being tried. While I was there, a servant girl recognized me and accused me of being one of his followers. Why, yesterday, I would have admitted it proudly, boasted that Jesus was my best friend. But yesterday... I denied I even knew him. Three times they questioned me. Three times I denied him. Just at that moment, Jesus turned and our eyes met. And I knew for the first time in my life that I am as weak and needy as any person who ever lived. My best friend was being led like a lamb to the slaughter to die a criminal's death on a cross. And instead of picking up my cross and dying with him, I turned my back on him. No, I'm as guilty as Eve, as guilty as Rahab, as guilty as David, as guilty as everyone who cried out, crucify, crucify, crucify. I tell you the truth. We are, all of us, covered in the innocent blood of Jesus. One of our companions, Judas Iscariot, he took his own life. To tell you the truth, 
I've considered it. But something holds me back. Something keeps me holding on. Hope. I can't explain it. I know it's scandalous for me to have hope, especially after what I've done. But when I consider how Jesus died, when I hear the echo of the sound of the nails being driven into his hands and feet, it's as if God is knocking on the door of my heart saying, if you open up and let me in, I will make everything Will you trust me? Will you let me have my way? Will you let me have your heart? Eve did not know that Seth's lineage of ancestors would include Noah, Abraham, and ultimately Jesus Christ. Rahab did not know that her legacy would include King David and all the kings of Judah, including the king of kings, Jesus. David didn't know that Bathsheba's son would be Solomon, the king who built the first temple in Jerusalem. And on the Saturday after Jesus was crucified, Peter did not know that on Sunday he would be running to an empty tomb to find Jesus was not there because he had risen from the dead. And yet, in the midst of their darkest days, all of them felt hope. was scandalous for Eve, Rahab, David, and Peter to hope after what had happened in their lives. Choices they made, choices others made that affected them. Hope gave them the courage to open the red door, the door of their hearts.
play began with these words. A doorway creates an opening in what would otherwise be a solid wall. That opening is an opportunity for an encounter between the one who opens the door and the one on the other side of it. I think you get the picture. The red door is symbolic of what happens when you and I, through faith, through trust, through belief in this one named Jesus, who said, I've come to restore everything. You put your faith in me, it's like opening a door, inviting me into your life to hope again. What a message of hope. And it's founded, it's, it's built on an historical event that cannot be denied. A man named Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, claimed that he would be killed, and said, you'll know that I am who I said I am, because on the third day after I am crucified, I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to conquer the grave. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to conquer the powers behind sin. I'm going to conquer sin. I'm going to bear it all away in my body. And you'll know for sure that it's true when I rise from the dead. And he did. Well, we have Easter. That's why around the planet today people are worshiping like we are. I want to read two passages of Scripture for you. Promised I'd be sure, right? Just two. One is um, from the letter to the church at Corinth. I think it's even on the screen. Yeah. Paul, writing, wanted to remind them of the... This, this group of believers in a place called Corinth wanted to remind them of the gospel, the good news, the message, the proclamation of what Jesus had done. And he said, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firm, firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ, or Messiah, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, Paul wrote, in case you want to check with them. So some have fallen asleep. The death of a Messiah by crucifixion in order to take away the sins of humanity, is something that was predicted not only by Jesus and witnessed not only by the people that wrote what we have now, we call it the New Testament of the Bible. It was, just a, it was a series of documents that had been collected together for our sake to, to learn. But it was also prophesied by Jewish prophets over a period of thousands of years. They prophesied that the Messiah, a specially anointed one of God, would come to redeem mankind from the mess that we created by going astray. And they, in a way that was somewhat confusing, maybe a lot confusing to people, predicted that this person would be a man, born of a virgin, but also God, fully God and fully man that he would die a death of a criminal, and in so doing would carry on himself the sins of every person on the planet. 
both then and yet to come, and that he would rise from the dead. I want to read one of those passages. That's the last one I'm going to read to you from a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah is writing in the 8th century B.C., so he's writing hundreds of years before Jesus, and he wrote this, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Jesus was pierced with nails, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. This is the phrase I really wanted to get to. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. Sheep, if you don't know, because we're in California, we don't do a lot of shepherding around here. Sheep need a shepherd. They're not the smartest animal in the zoo. Um, they can get lost because they'll start eating and look down and follow the grass and get lost. And then they're in danger to the wolves. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. That the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And that was this case of the four characters in the play, right? Which I'm guessing that you identified with at least one of them. You went, oh, that sounds like something I did or would do. All went astray. And yet they had hope built on a promise of a Messiah. And that's the hope that we have today that we're proclaiming in worship, but also proclaiming to folks that might be here that have never entered into that kind of hope. Maybe you're here and you've heard a little bit about Easter, you've decorated an Easter egg once, or you uh, got a chocolate rabbit, but don't know a lot about the real story behind Easter. It's the story of Jesus dying on a cross for our sins, rising from the dead on the third day to give us hope, to give us a future. Someone's saying amen, right? <laughs> I, I want to give you an opportunity right now, more than an opportunity, I want to invite you. If you're here and you've never opened the door of your heart to Jesus, maybe you've heard about him, Maybe you've even believed that it's true, and you've said that wise thing of our current age that says, that is your truth and good for you, which is the most ridiculous thing, by the way, that there can be a your truth and a your truth, and there is one truth. You know? <laughs> Amen, she says. <laughs> you may have believed the truth, but not have taken it into yourself. You may believe that there's a door, but you have to open the door. And I want to invite you to have a conversation with God that is an invitation to have him come into your life. What will happen is this. If you, like I have and like many others have in this room and around the world for centuries, will open your heart to Jesus, he will not only come into your life and make reality the taking away of sins, he will bring you into his life. And you'll enter into a process of coming to wholeness like the song we sang. So if, if you would like to have that experience right now, you feel a draw, you feel you're ready to open the door, why don't you reach out to the Lord and um, maybe folks, maybe bow our heads kind of in reverence like, like we might do before a king. Maybe if you want to 
invite Jesus into your life and experience the open door. Maybe raise your hand up to him. Kind of like you're saying, pick me, pick me. Pray. Talk with God. Say something like this. God, I open the door of my heart to you right now. I want you to come in. I want to receive for myself what you've done. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe you died for all of my failures. To take them away. I believe that you rose from the dead as God. Come in and give me life. Come into my life and bring me into your life today. And help me to follow you all my days. I might know you, live with you, worship you. Amen. uh, Peter, the guy that we saw that was in abject failure right at the moment of this play, of course found Jesus' tomb empty and, and he was transformed. His hope was restored. He became a new man. He was filled with the very Spirit of God. He was speaking to a large crowd of people, and they asked him, what should we do? They believed what he said. What should we do about this? And he said two things. He said, you need to repent, which means to change direction. You were like sheep going astray. You need to come back to the shepherd and follow him. Don't go your own way. Follow God now. Follow Jesus. He said, you need to repent. You need to be baptized. And I'm told you earlier, I'm giving you another invitation to this, especially if you just opened your heart to Jesus for the first time. Baptism is an interesting symbolic act that the Bible prescribes for us, that Jesus said we should do, that Peter, I just mentioned, said we should do. And if you don't know, here's the picture. When you baptize, you go underwater, and it's symbolic of dying and being buried like Jesus was. We identify with him in his death. We die to our old life. It's buried and gone. When we come out of the water in baptism, it's symbolic of resurrection. And Again, we identify with Jesus, resurrected from death into new life, and we experience something called being born again, having a new life. And if you haven't done that, and you want to follow Jesus, you're called to do that. And we're going to do that here again next Sunday. So if you would like to do that, you know, pull out your cell phone again and uh, text the word baptism to the number. I bet it's on the screen. Okay, finally, I want to pray one more time for another group of people in this room. You may be people that have believed in Jesus. And yet, somehow, you've come to a place where your hope has faded away. It can happen. I get there. And we're invited today to look freshly at the cross and the resurrection. Listen, when Jesus went to that cross, it was because he loves you. You are that precious. You, I'm, I'm talking now individual. It's for the world, but it's for you, the individual. Jesus knows you. He formed you. He created you. He knows your hopelessness. 
He knows your sorrow. He knows the mistakes you've made. He knows what people have done to you. And he died with love for you. You knew that. Know it again today when you look to the cross. He's for me. Therefore, I can have hope. And I want to bless you now, you who've lost hope. Father, I pray that hope would be restored today. Those who have begun to lose the strength of joy and hope in the work of the Lord and the promise of God in their lives, those who have known you already, today would you come and touch and restore hope for everyone that we would all walk out of this place knowing you and walking in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our own lives living a new life with you and for you, filled with hope that it's all going to be all right. That no matter the circumstance, we have this promise from your lips, I am with you and I will be with you. Let us each walk in that today, we pray. In Jesus.